It's in these moments, Lord, that we realize how magnificent you are and how we dependent we are upon you. We come before you today poor in spirit, knowing that we are nothing without you, that we are destitute apart from you. But we also come before you because of what you've done with the promise that ours is the kingdom of heaven. Lord, as we study about your kingdom over this season, may we be equipped and enabled to live as kingdom representatives that reflect your glory and shift culture for your name's sake. Lord, we are heading into a time where more and more the world does not like what we preach and what we stand for. So as we consider your word this morning that speaks about persecution, may we be enlightened and empowered by your spirit to stand for truth regardless of what we might face. We ask this all in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Can we give the Lord a great shout of praise in this place? What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty, mighty God we serve. Thank you, Lord. What a beautiful time in the presence of our Savior. Can we just thank our worship team this morning? Well, good morning, church. It's my privilege to be with you all this morning. It's an honor for me to preach the Word of God to you today, and may the Lord be exalted and magnified throughout our time together. Today we are going into part three of our series titled Preaching the Kingdom, which is a series on the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to focus today mainly on three verses in Matthew chapter 5. Verse 10, 11, and 12. We're picking up at the end of what's known as the Beatitudes, where Jesus speaks about the priorities and the character traits of those who are part of his kingdom and lays out what it means to be kingdom representatives that represent him in different ways while they are still living in this world. Jesus was and is looking for a group of people that understand what he is all about. And he is looking for a group of people that will be committed to him and to the kingdom he is establishing. He wants to clearly mark and identify those who would understand what it means to press into the culture instead of the culture pressing into them. The seven Beatitudes we've covered so far, can you remember them? They are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, and the peacemaker. As I've said before, the Beatitudes are progressive in intensity, and today we're reaching what you could call the culmination of all the other Beatitudes that come before it, and it is certainly the most intense Beatitude of all the eight. So let's read verse 10, and then we'll get into some of the detail. It says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The word persecuted in this verse is the Greek word dioko, and it means to put to flight, to pursue with the intent to systematically oppress and harass. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. 
And you're probably thinking, just like I did, why should I be persecuted if I'm a righteous person? And are you telling me that if I live out these seven Beatitudes that come before this, being poor in spirit, being meek, being hungry and thirsty for more and more of God, and the rest of them, that I'm going to be persecuted? I mean, firstly, is that fair? And secondly, why would people want to persecute me if I'm displaying Christ-like behavior? Well, church, that's really the thrust and the purpose of my message today. Because what we'll discover as we step into our role as kingdom representatives is that we are going to shine the light of Jesus into a very dark world. And that world is not going to act favorably toward us because they like the dark. As you display Christ-like characteristics, this world is not going to know what to do with you. And they are going to persecute you because these Beatitudes are countercultural. Yes, they are godly. Yes, they are Christ-like, but they are countercultural. You will be persecuted because of righteousness. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And you could say it like this, everyone who wants to display these beatitudes will be persecuted. And you're thinking, Pastor, thank you so much. What an encouraging way to start the message this morning. But church, this is exactly what the Apostle Paul was saying to young Timothy. Sooner or later, a deeply God-centered Christian will be mistreated for the things he believes or the life that he lives. You see, church, the world doesn't hate baby Jesus. In fact, the world loves baby Jesus in the manger with all the animals and the angels because it makes them millions and millions each year. The world doesn't even hate miracle work in Jesus. They hear these stories about this man that healed the the blind and made the lame walk and the deaf hear, and they think that's a pretty awesome guy. Sometimes they even admire the teachings of Jesus and like the idea that he was this prophet that lived this impeccable life that we can all learn from. You know, we'll take this part from his life and, and that part, and we'll adopt it to our life. But let me tell you something this morning. They don't like the Jesus that says, hey, I'm going to draw a line in the sand. Because this is right and that is wrong. Right? And because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, I am the only way to salvation. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. You see, the world hates that kind of Jesus. The world hates the fact that the message of Jesus calls out sin and doesn't agree, for instance, with the socialistic or even autocratic views of many governments and institutions these days. Or the rights of people to practice any form of sexuality and murder their own unborn children and behave any way they want to in society. They hate that. They hate the fact that Jesus has this perfect model for the family because they would rather adopt the enemy's agenda, which is broken families that break society. As long as Jesus stays in a manger and says what they want to hear, they're fine with that. But if he start, starts telling them how to live their lives and that they must be holy as he's holy, that's a different story. We adore that Jesus. We love that Jesus, but, but they hate him. 
And by association, they will hate us as well. And again, you know, we may think to ourselves, if I'm being pure, if I'm being merciful, and I'm being peaceable by relying on Jesus and living for His glory, why in the world would anybody want to persecute that? That doesn't seem very offensive, now does it? Church, the answer that goes to the root cause of persecution is found in Luke chapter 16, verses 13 to 15. Jesus is having a discussion with the Pharisees, and he points out to them in verse 13 that no one can serve two masters. For you will hate the one and love the other. You will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. And then comes the persecution in the form of mockery in verse 14. The Pharisees who dearly loved their money heard all this and they scoffed at him. They mocked him. And right here you have this persecution and part of its explanation. They were lovers of money. In other words, Jesus' attitude toward money was an, an attack on their love of money. Jesus then explains their mockery in verse 15, and he says to them, you like to appear righteous in public, but God knows your heart. Again, Jesus is speaking to the inward condition of the vessel. And then he says, what this world honors is detestable in the sight of God. And church, what you have here in this passage of scripture is the root of persecution with its two pillars. One pillar is the love of something evil or untrue, and the other pillar is the need to justify that love. This is the root of persecution. Jesus comes on the scene with a, a new way of life and a kingdom message that implies, among other things, that the love of money is treason against God. He says you can't serve two sovereigns. And this is not an antagonistic insult, by the way. It's just part of his purity. It is true, and it is essential to know if you are going to be saved. But it goes against the Pharisees' love of money, so to justify themselves, they put Jesus down. And this is the standard operating procedure for self-justification and is the root of all persecution. And you could say it like this. Persecution is the inevitable clash between two irreconcilable value systems. The value system of the kingdom of God, that's what we live in, and the value system of the world. Those two will be constantly rubbing up against each other because they are so different. Because you see, when the nature of fallen man meets the nature of the new creation in Christ, there is an inevitable clash. And just to be clear this morning, I think you already know this, but there are many different forms of persecution. Right now, in this world that we're living in, there are many people who are persecuted for righteousness sake. You have a staggering number of believers around the world who are in this dire, dire position. And Open Doors, which is a great organization that keeps track of persecution around the world, has a world watch list 
that documents persecution in 50 different countries today. You can put that list up for us. There are 50 different countries that have persecution levels that range from high to very high to extreme. And according to Open Doors, there are at least 10,000 people who have been martyred for their faith every year over the past number of years. To get the exact stats are just about impossible when you're talking about martyrdom because some groups are suggesting that it's more in the region of between 50 and 100,000 people per year. But Open Doors say that at least these are numbers that they can rely on. There are thousands of Christians that are killed every year with many more perhaps that are not even documented. And according to a very well-known research center, Christians are the most persecuted religious group in the world today. I wonder why. And you don't hear much about that now in the media, do you? But it's true. Christians are the most persecuted religious group in the world. Open Doors lists the 10 nations with the greatest level of persecution presently in the world. And I'm just going to read the top 10 for you so that you can just keep it in mind and, and pray for these nations. The list goes from number 1 to 10. It says Afghanistan, North Korea, Somalia, Libya, Yemen, Nigeria, Pakistan, Iran, and India. And there are others, church, but it's in those uh, countries specifically where a hand grenade is rolled down the center of the aisle at a church service. It's in those places where Christians are lined up and, and hacked to death with machetes. It's in those places where Christians gathering in a park for a church service are gunned down with, with machine guns. It's in those places, church, where Christians are literally being crucified and beheaded by those who hate them. This is happening in our world today. And it's been said that more Christians were martyred in the 20th and so far in the 21st century than in every previous century combined. So it's not just some distant thing for the persecuted church in, in years and centuries gone by. And I know I'm referring to violent persecution mainly here, but even in India, for instance, which is in the top 10 of this watch list, it says on the Open Doors website that the persecution of Christians in India is intensifying as Hindu extremists aim to cleanse the country of their presence and influence. This is leading to a systematic and often violent and carefully orchestrated targeting of Christians. But it also says that the COVID-19 pandemic has offered a new weapon to persecutors in India. Because in some areas, Christians have been deliberately overlooked in the local distribution of government aid and have been accused of spreading the virus. I know personally of a pastor that I speak to from time to time in Pakistan who told me that Christians in that country are experiencing the very same thing. So it's not just violent persecution in a physical sense. Persecutors are resorting to other means to persecute Christians around the world. Which brings me back to what I said earlier. There are many different forms of persecution. Jesus told us this would happen by what he says in, in verse 11. Again, he says, Blessed are you when people insult you, 
persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Jesus warned us that we will be persecuted with words, with false accusations, and in other ways that will harass and suppress us. You know, sometimes people get the attitude that it's only real persecution if they are cutting off your head or or they are crucifying you, but that's not what Jesus said. And look, I will agree with you when, when I say this morning that that is a different kind of persecution when they are attacking you physically. But words and other actions can be persecution as well. Jesus said that when people insult you, that's persecuting you with words. He said that when people speak evil against you falsely for his name's sake, that is persecution as well. And you know, when you think about it, church, when you hear all the rhetoric that's going on in our world today, there are constant false accusations about Christians and Christianity today. Because Christians these days are being falsely labeled as haters of those who are not followers of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I don't hate those people. Christians are being labeled as haters of many different groups of people, especially the LGBTQ community. I don't know about you, but I don't hate those communities. We are being identified as those that oppose the progress and evolution of the family construct. And even when we stand by the physiological, scientific construct of a male and a female, how God has created them, we are hated for that as well. And the list goes on. These Christians are just so narrow-minded. They are just haters of different types of people groups and, and progressive thinking. Now, just a quick note this morning. If you do hate, hate such people and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you seriously need to go back to beatitude number one and begin again. Don't pass go. Don't collect 200 Start from the beginning and repent if you have hatred in your heart toward anybody. But you know, church, you and I probably know very few believers who have such hatred in their hearts for the people that are doing these things. Because the truth is, we don't hate the sinner, we hate the sin. And because we are peacemakers, we want to see their lives restored and made whole. Amen? For the most part, it's a lie about Christians. But you know what? It's nothing new. Do you realize that from the very beginning of Christianity, Christians have been lied about? What Jesus said here in the scripture came true very soon in the history of the early church. In the days of the Roman Empire, Christians were constantly lied about. And and why would they lie about them? Why would they lie about us today? Because, ladies and gentlemen, before you can effectively persecute anybody, you've got to make them something other. You've got to demonize them. You've got to classify them as extremists and paint a great big target on their back. And that's done with lies. Do you know what they said about the early Christians? They said they were cannibals. How could you say that about a believer? They said they would get together and eat the body and drink the blood of some poor dude. I mean, that's crazy. That's what they said. They looked at Christians and they said they were haters of humanity. 
That's a phrase that was often used against Christians by the Romans in the early days because they said when we go off and do our drunken, immoral, debaucherous parties at the temple of Zeus, they don't want to come with us. When, when we all going down to the gladiator arena to see people slaughter each other on the arena floor, they don't want to come there either. They just haters of humanity. They are just these people that don't understand that man is evolving. These lies were continually told about Christians, and in the mind of the common Roman, they were used as a justification to support and allow the persecution of Christians. So today, nobody's going to say about you as a believer that we're against you because you're pure in heart, or we are against you because you're poor in spirit, or because you're meek, or we're against you because you, um, you hunger and thirst after righteousness. But what they'll say, church, is that you're hateful, that you are a dangerous fanatic, that you are a menace to good society because of who and what you stand for. And they will justify persecution on that basis. But let me tell you the glorious thing. The glorious thing is that Christians of old and Christians of today prove those lies wrong by their lies. They prove those lies wrong by their lies. And that's what we have to do. We have to accept that we are going to be lied about in the culture, but nevertheless be determined that with our love and with our kingdom values, we will prove those lies wrong. And I will just make a quick observation today that unfortunately there are many pastors and Christian leaders and even Christians today that are not proving those lies wrong. We are hearing more and more about well-known pastors that, that lead large congregations that are falling into sexual sin. About a month ago, a, a pastor of a very big congregation who was hiding his sexual escapades with prostitutes got a bit too high on drugs on this specific occasion and accidentally posted a video on social media of himself while he was busy with one of these ladies. And it has absolutely shaken that community. It's tragic, and it's certainly not our place to judge. In fact, we are called to show mercy. But can you imagine what the world thinks when we preach to them and we behave like this? When the world come into the church and can't find a distinction between the two because the church is more concerned about the numbers or the entertainment or the feel-good message, we are not proving those lies wrong. Our lives and our message have to stand in stark contrast to what this world system offers. And that's what Jesus is saying through this important message to his disciples. Yes, it's a life of righteousness that, righteousness that will bring persecution. But it's the same life of righteousness that will bring this, the distinction where people will actually stop and take notice. And church, as you seek to authentically represent Jesus in this life, you will be the cause of both persecution and conversion. Church, I don't want to sound like an alarmist today by what I'm about to say, but we are going to face some dark days ahead. We are going to face a time where our righteousness is going 
to be persecuted. And I'm not saying this to scare you. What I want to be is a shepherd. And part of the shepherd's responsibility is to look out for the flock and to look out on the horizon to see if there is a storm on the way. And see if there's a predator coming and try and discern the times and the season to prepare the flock for it. And as I look out on the horizon, I can't say days, weeks, months, or years to it, but there are dark times ahead. There's a storm brewing. In the coming months or years, the church and Christians will be challenged. You know, just last week, church leaders around our country had to rally support to oppose a health bill that would severely compromise the constitutional rights of the citizens of our country as well as our religious freedoms. Because among many other things, this bill is suggesting that government will decide who, will, who is allowed to gather in churches based on their vaccination status. And it's churches all coming under the camouflage and guise of public health and safety, but in reality it's to gain, to gain control over the public, especially the church. This bill is proposing fines and jail sentences for anyone who, who doesn't toe the line. Make no mistake, it is all about control. Yeah. In the not-too-distant future, there's going to be fines for people like myself who preach anything other than the cultural agenda about sexual orientation and sexual expression. And if the fines aren't paid, you go to jail. That's how it works. And then there will be a forced re-education. Pastor, you preached this sermon and it didn't toe the cultural line, so you're going to have to go to this special seminar where you get re-educated on how things actually should be. And you may, say, and you may think to yourself, that's way off. I know of a pastor in South Africa that went through the very same thing. As church members, at some point, you're going to be classified as a hate group. And what's to say that if you work for an organization that stands against any and all hate groups, that they won't decide to get rid of you because you now belong to this hate group. You say, that's just not possible, right? I think I would agree with you a couple of years ago. But church, that's the perversity and the sickness of the times we're living in. Church, whether we like it or not, these dark times are on the horizon. And we must prepare ourselves. We must realize that it's a time for drawing closer into Jesus more than ever before. It's a time to say that I can't play around with the things of God anymore. Now, if you're listening to me here this morning, you're probably thinking, Pastor, this is a really depressing message. And I'm so sad I brought a friend to church this morning. But I want you to hear me this morning, church. I'm not telling you this to be sad or to, be, to feel morose, you know, depressed. I understand this is not the most encouraging message you'll ever hear from this pulpit. But I want you to hear the words of Jesus, what he says about this. Look at verse 12. What does he say? Our reaction should be rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Literally, in the original Greek language, it means to jump for joy. 
And why should I jump for joy if I'm being persecuted? Because the persecuted will have great reward in heaven. And because the persecuted are in good company, the prophets before them were also persecuted. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. You see, this is not a time for depression. This is not a time for being pessimistic. It's certainly not a time for being angry at the world because if you are angry at the world, it's not going to accomplish much of anything for the kingdom of God. If there are dark times on the horizon, what do we do? We rejoice and we express our confidence in God's work in His kingdom. Because we realize that sometimes even in the most difficult circumstances, God's work can shine. You see, the Sermon on the Mount is all about Jesus telling anybody who will listen what the kingdom of King Jesus is all about. And how did the world respond to King Jesus? They put a crown of thorns on his head and they crucified him. You see, opposition and persecution, it doesn't surprise us. Jesus told us that in the last days there would be distress of nations. Paul said that Christians should prepare and observe the present distress. So it doesn't surprise us. It shouldn't weigh us down. And we are not angry. We don't go around moping and feeling sorry for ourselves as Christians. You know why? Because we are on the winning team. And if persecution gets worse, God will emerge his church victorious as he has done many times before. You know, in the early days of Christianity, one of the most severe persecutors of the church was a Roman emperor named Diocletian. And Diocletian felt at some point that he had defeated the Christians. He thought that he had wiped them out. And so he started building these monuments at different places in his empire, and he was saying to everyone that I have abolished the superstition of Christ and I have extinguished the name of Christians. But let me tell you something, Mr. Diocletian. You are gone and just about forgotten, but we are still here. The church is still here. And my Jesus is still on the throne and he's still in control. You see, the church of Jesus Christ is like an anvil that has worn out many hammers that have tried to pound away at it and destroy it. But the promise of Jesus Christ is going to stand true forever where he says the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. And you see, church, we need to realize that following Jesus isn't just something that we do when it's easy. It's when you walk with him when he is reviled and when he is rejected. It's having this mindset of wherever you go, King Jesus, I will follow you there because I am a subject of the king. Charles Spurgeon talked about people who can walk with Jesus in silver slippers. And he said, but they cannot travel with him when his bleeding feet go barefoot over the world's rough ways of persecution. And may we not be a congregation of people who only follow Jesus with silver slippers. But when the ways get rough, we will follow him there also. 
Church, this is not a time for half measures in your Christian life. This is not a time for living a, a lukewarm life. Because when things get worse, and they are going to get worse, you won't have the stability to stand. There's a great assault being launched from the enemy of our souls, a persecution coming that will shake us in one way or another. And I see right now Satan wanting to weaken believers so that when the assault comes, more and more will fall away. May it not be so with us. Now is the time to press into Jesus. Right? Not find ways to get yourselves busy with all types of other things. It's time to press into Jesus more than ever before. As it says in the book of Jude, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the center because that's where you're safe. And as I close this morning, let's remember what Jesus said. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. He said that they should rejoice and be exceedingly glad because it is a blessing and a joy to be counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. It is a blessing and a joy to be forced to rely upon God so greatly. When other people might fall away, it is a blessing and a, a joy to endure something on this earth that we will never have to endure in heaven. It is a blessing and a joy to know that we have great reward when we meet Jesus face to face. It's time for us as believers to rise to the occasion and to realize that persecution time is opportunity time. The church advanced back in the, in the Roman world. The church has advanced throughout the centuries at the times of persecution. So we say, Lord, if you have appointed this as a season for us, then we will embrace it as a season of great opportunity and see many one to your kingdom. And may our lives be lives of righteousness that will be the cause of both persecution and conversion. Amen. Can we receive that word this morning, church? Can we thank the Lord for his word?